The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. All right, our topic today leads us into the conclusion of our 2018 Back to Basics series, and our theme has been Rising Above, Spiritual Basics for Toxic, Troubling Times. Rising Above. We've been applying the relevance and the power of all principles to some really challenging things through these six weeks. First of all, we talked about rising above divisiveness and strife. Then rising above the BS, the belief systems and the nonsense out there that, it, that besieges us. Rising above hopelessness. Now I want to thank uh, Reverend Josh and Dr. Michelle for uh, the fourth and fifth installment in the series. It's rising above unworthiness rising above scarcity, and today it culminates in what might be the clincher, and that is rising above cynicism and hate. You know, there's been a phenomenon identified, and it's called outrage addiction. Outrage addiction. It's, it's this very unmistakable and prevailing anger, aggressiveness, cynicism, and pessimism that is afoot. I saw it most recently in a list of some intriguing, challenging posters and the inscriptions on these posters. I've got to lay some of these on you. One said, the human body has seven trillion nerves and some people manage to get on every single one of them. <laughs> Another poster said, I'm sorry I hurt you when I called you stupid. I really thought you already knew. <laughs> Oh, this one, this one actually has a whole lot of truth in it. Some people seriously need a speed bump between their brain and their mouth. And how true. Have you noticed? I have one of my favorites. It's just a matter of time before they add the word syndrome after my last name. And finally, I love this one too. Sometimes I question my sanity. Sometimes it replies. It's kind of sad in, in many respects that a lot of people default into cynicism and default into tearing themselves and others down rather than building up life. And so we have the opportunity then to take a look at this because if we don't, it devolves into the extreme of hate. Hate for those who are different, those who seem to be a threat, those who we feel distant from. And I feel like we all need to take a look at this, to take a look at all of this, uh, because, you see, we're deeply conditioned to think negatively about ourselves and others. So we have to really take a look at this and see how we are dealing with all of this. And I know that in my own life, day by day, I'm called to take a look at how my mind gets pulled by all, so many forces out there to go into dimensions that I don't want to hang out in. I believe that the science of mind and spirit has so much healing help for this whole thing that we all deal with. We all deal with. So I want to lay some basic principles uh, that as we conclude this series. Lay some basic principles on you that will help us rise above cynicism and hate. And the first is that the science of mind and spirit, living the science of mind and spirit, is not about hiding from challenges. 
It is not about hiding from challenges, but transcending them by transforming our consciousness. Transforming our consciousness. So we have to begin that process then by looking honestly at what is life-limiting within ourselves. To be looking honestly at that which in us is counterproductive, uh, maybe even destructive, that in us which is dysfunctional, and most especially that in us which might be heartless. And to take an honest look at that. Now I know that some students and some folks, they, they resist that. And they say, oh, that's focusing on the negative. But we have to work with this stuff. If we don't notice it, it bogs our life down. As the late great metaphysician and minister Louise Hay said, if you want to clean the house, you have to see the dirt. And so we do this not to put ourselves down, but to to clear away what no longer really is a part of us, shouldn't be a part of our lives. And we get to do that collectively as well, to look at all that is heartless in our culture and not just become cynical about it, but work with it. Joseph Campbell, many years ago, sort of prophetically sensed where we might be. And he, he called it the wasteland, the wasteland. And he said, the wasteland is any world in which force and not love, indoctrination and not education, authority and not experience, prevail in the ordering of lives. And so often that's kind of what we see. We see examples of force and indoctrination and authority when something within us says it's really about love and and education and a higher experience in our lives. And so when we find ourselves in a wasteland, we're really called to avoid getting cynical because that doesn't help us. It doesn't help the situations we face. So we must avoid being cynical in our lives. And we got to avoid another thing, and that is longing for the past, for the good old days. Because you see, the truth is, we can't go back. We really can't go back. And maybe going back isn't really the higher solution anyway. I don't think it is. Really, actually, what we have to do is be willing to be present to pent-up pain. Be present to it. Let it come up and out, and then to begin to water that wasteland with higher awareness, with an inspired vision, with creative innovation. And when we do, what used to be a wasteland can become a paradise. So we have our creative work to do, but it's not about hiding away or hiding out from the challenges. And another basic in our teaching is that the science of mind and spirit is about affirmative living. Affirmative living. Now, I quickly want to say that this is not Pollyanna-like positive thinking. It is not that. Affirmative living is a deep dedication to honoring the spiritual birthright in every one of us to live as creative centers in mind. To live as a creative center in mind. Affirming higher reality in our lives. You see, we look 
at conditions. We look at the things that need to be handled. But we don't get taken in by them. We look at them, we don't get taken in by them because we understand that every one of us is equipped to initiate a new chain of causation that can transform anything, no matter what. So, yes, we will look at the lesser, and then we will stand for the greater. And that's affirmative living, to stand for something great, not get sucked into our cynicism and our outrage over what's going on. We look at that, we see what is called for, and we hold the higher vision. Years ago, uh, our movement every summer met in a conference, thousands of science and minders around the world, at Asilomar, which is a beautiful conference center in Pacific Grove near Monterey and Carmel, right on the ocean. It was found, uh, our founder, Ernest Holmes, uh, created this. And for years, he would conclude the conference with what he called the Sermon by the Sea, done in a beautiful chapel, and the windows opened up and you could see the ocean out there. And it was called the Sermon by the Sea. The last one he did in 1959 was phenomenal. And it was recorded, and he said some important things that we can be blessed by. It would be wonderful, he said, if a group of persons should arrive on earth who were for something and against nothing. This would be the summum bonum of human organization, wouldn't it? Find me one person who is for something and against nothing, who is redeemed enough not to condemn others out of the burden of his own soul, and I will find another Savior, another Jesus, and an exalted human being. Oh, might we be that. Yes, looking at the challenges in our own lives, the challenges in the world, but being affirmative, people standing for something higher, for something, and championing that in our lives. And so it's an interesting thing We have a discipline, and that is to be willing to look at what is being called to evolution within us. To be regular, and in this, by the way, this never ends. I've been in this teaching over 50 years, and I'm still doing this. I'm still assessing. What's the leading edge of my own consciousness evolution? You know, I get that inspiration by looking at what I'm um, not too proud of uh, in my own thinking and in my own behaviors. And that calls me to a higher way in my life. And so we're constantly evolving our thinking and our awareness because we understand that the inner produces the outer. So we don't rail against the outer as much as we turn within and cultivate something higher within ourselves. Now when we return to this whole thing of outrage and outrage addiction, you've got to wonder, what's the seed idea at the center of that kind of an outrage, that pattern of outrage. And I would suggest that one of the key ideas in ongoing outrage is a sense of inflated self-importance. An inflated sense of self-righteousness and self-importance. Oh my gosh, that will fuel constant upset. Carlos Castaneda put it so beautifully. Our self-importance requires that we spend most of our lives offended by someone. i got to read that again. I need to hear that again. Our self-importance requires that we spend most of our lives offended by someone. 
So if you're constantly getting your buttons pushed, you may have an evolutionary option within yourself. Oh, but it can be so seductive. The uh, scientist and science fiction writer, Dr. David Brin, delved into this. He said, self-righteousness can be heady, seductive, and even addictive. Any truly honest person will admit that this state feels good. Mm -hmm. The pleasure of knowing with subjective certainty that you are right and your opponents are deeply and despicably wrong. Oh, it can feel so intense and delicious that many people actively return to it again and again. Indeed, one could look at our present-day political landscape and argue that a relentless addiction to indignation may be one of the chief drivers of obstinate dogmatism and an inability to negotiate pragmatic solutions to myriad modern problems. It may be the ultimate propellant behind the current culture war. So for us, as a student of truth, of the science of mind and spirit, instead of lapsing into cynicism or into demonizing people, we feel called to address positive possibilities in this world. Our teaching calls us, given our oneness with all beings, to open up dialogue and by all means to start listening more and speaking less. I should talk as a minister. But to listen more. To listen more. And to, and to open up dialogue across belief systems, understanding that it's usually systems and not people that are inadequate or immoral. And so really what is being called for is true spiritual leadership. And our our founder spoke to that. He said, there's a lack of spiritual leadership in the world right now. We have a spiritual concept that will revolutionize the world, and we just need to stick with it. This means continually using constructive rather than destructive conversation, seeing the divine in every person, and surrendering the mind in complete abandonment to the idea of success regardless of conditions or situations. Powerful calling. I feel like we could synthesize this. That rising above cynicism and hate, the way to do that is to care for the sacred again. To care for the sacred. And as I am wont to do, you can just remember those four letters in care to remember the elements that I want to offer you in caring for the sacred. It begins with sacred community. Sacred community. I was given a book here recently by Thomas Friedman, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, New York Times columnist. And it's got a wonderful title. Thank You for Being Late is the title of this book. And, And it deals with the increasing and the unhealthy uh, stress and unrest that's caused by so much acceleration going on in our world and in our lives. And he he calls out three areas that are a part of this this challenging acceleration. The first is, is technology, which really bumped up to quantum acceleration with the introduction of the iPhone in 2007. And the integrating of, or the initiating of what's called Moore's Law, which is the technology and the digital world will double in complexity every two years. And you think about that and it becomes awe-inspiring. So that technological infusion is one of the elements. The second is the climate erosion, the challenges environmentally. And the third is 
pervasive globalization. All of those happening. And so he writes in this book, it's no surprise that people feel fearful and unmoored in these days. We are living through one of the greatest inflection points in history. The three largest forces on the planet, technology, globalization, and climate change, are all accelerating at once. As a result, so many aspects of our societies, workplaces, and geopolitics are being reshaped and need to be reimagined. When there is a change in the pace of change in so many realms at once, it is easy to get overwhelmed by it all. And in calling that out, then, he begins to offer some antidotes in the book. And the two biggest ones are what I want to deal with today. The first one is, the first antidote for this, the unrest and the stress caused by all this acceleration is healthy community. You know, some people think, that, yeah, they don't need communities anymore. They can connect with everybody digitally and all of that. But there's a sterility to that, an isolation to that. I believe that more than ever before, healthy community, and in fact, spiritual community, will rise to the surface as essential in this day and age, especially as we deal with all of this change. But what is healthy community? He suggests that, first of all, it's a community of diversity that welcomes all beings and, in fact, gets richness out of diversity. And I've always loved that about Mile High Church, that we are a wonderful, loving community. And, in fact, as we work on our new white-hot vision, one of the elements in it is radical inclusivity, We are dedicated to radical inclusivity for all beings. And that's a part of healthy community. Another part of it is where people, as they are embraced in love and they get to feel that they belong and enjoy the wonder of who we all are individually and collectively, that we get to practice being the people we're designed to be. And and in some respects, that's about practicing our higher spiritual principles And Friedman says, his opinion is that these healthy communities need to re-enchant the idea of the golden rule and popularize that again. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you or only allow that to go forth from you which you would gladly have returned to you. And the golden rule is that. So healthy community, so essential. During World War I, a unit of our American troops was stationed in a small village in Italy, and a part of that unit was a chaplain. And this chaplain got to know a priest in a local village Catholic parish. And they had many talks together, and they bonded. Their friendship deepened. It was a rich and wonderful things in the, in the four to six weeks that they were stationed there. But then that unit got its orders to move, and they left, And then shortly after that, that chaplain was killed. And this deeply moved and pained that priest. And he asked the military authorities, since he knew that this man had no family in the States, if he would be permitted to bury him in the cemetery behind his church. And the military officials had no problem with that. However, he got the pushback from his own Catholic authorities, who said that they couldn't allow a non-Catholic to be buried in a Catholic cemetery. So the priest instead buried his dear friend, the chaplain, right outside the fence of the cemetery. Well, years later, one of the veterans of that unit returned to Italy. He knew what had happened, and he went to visit that old priest. And he immediately asked to see the grave of the chaplain. And so he went out there, and he was shocked to see 
that grave right inside the fence. And so he said to the priest, ah, I see that you received permission to move the body. And the priest said, no. They told me where I couldn't move the body. But nobody told me I couldn't move the fence. (laughs) It's time to move some fences. Sacred community. The second is sacred attention. In the science of mind and spirit, we know that the placement of our attention is a sacred choice because where attention goes, energy flows. Where attention goes, energy flows. And so we seek to channel the direction of our attention in the most productive and powerful ways. And so we want to avoid our attention being on cynicism and and problems being bigger than we are. And we want to focus our attention on the reality that we want to create and that that we want to call forth in our lives. And so sacred attention is about taking charge of our pace in life, taking charge of our appetites, and, and taking charge of our awareness by having regular and vibrant spiritual practices in our life. This is no longer just an optional nicety in life. It's it's an essential for a grounded and empowered life. And Friedman, in his book, Thank You for Being Late, I'll tell you why uh, he called it that. Uh, He he says that often he would schedule breakfast with uh, either friends or officials or diplomats, and inevitably, given the incredible traffic in Washington, D.C., they'd be late. And, And so, eventually he began to recognize this as okay, as a gift. And he said, I noticed it felt good to have those few moments of unplanned for, unscheduled time. I was beginning to feel overwhelmed and exhausted by the dizzying pace of change. I needed to give myself and my guests permission to slow down. I needed permission to be alone with my thoughts without having to tweet about them, take a picture of them, or share them with anyone, I began to sincerely declare, thank you for being late. And thank you for taking the time you need to rise above the fray and to to grasp the power of sacred attention in your life. Sacred community, sacred intention. The third one is sacred reconciliation. continuously ask, who have I placed outside the fence of my heart? And to be willing to look at how we may in ways feel victim to other people and blame other people for the way things are or the way we feel when what we're really called to do is take ownership of our inner life and in the process then reconcile and heal. And collectively, so many opportunities for us to reconcile, to forgive, to make right, to make amends, whether it's, it's with the, the disabled or the disenfranchised, to reconcile with different faiths, to reconcile with Native Americans and African Americans. The list goes on and on. And it's time to be about that business, to reconcile. I've loved the, the story that happened in the Deep South about 15 years ago, where a Klansman was going to open up a store and a museum dedicated to the Klan and 
5,000 people protested, and one guy even backed his truck into the store and demolished it. But one villager, a, a lady, said, no, that's not okay. We can't respond like that. And she volunteered to help clean up the mess. And in the process, she fell in love with the Klansman. And she brought her love to him. She didn't agree with his philosophy. But in the presence of her love, he transformed. But then the Klansman disowned him. And he lost his job. And he fell into poverty. And he had to be willing to go meet with the Reverend David Kennedy, the, the minister of the black church that actually picketed against his store and say, I need help. Help me. My family is living in my truck and I have no food for them. And that wonderful minister, Reverend Kennedy, looked at him in the eyes and he said, you know, we can talk theology later. And he took them to a steakhouse and bought the family a steak dinner and then he paid for a week in a motel. And the upshot of it is that that former Klansman, Eugene Burden, became a member of that church and a wonderful member of that community to reconcile, to explore the possibilities of transformation in this life. Are you called to that? Sacred community, attention, reconciliation, and finally, sacred earth. Oh, I tell you, in the midst of so much change and so much low-energy cynicism and hate, we need to get more grounded, I feel. I mean literally grounded. Literally. Don't you think it'd be powerful for us to get closer to our beloved Mother Earth and, and to walk upon it sometimes barefoot, but wait a few seasons before you do that. And to feel its life-giving, healing energies. I long for that more in my life. I'm dedicated to that much more in my life. To feel its rhythms and to allow it to move us back into the flow in our life. Part of the reason one of our stands here at My Life Church is environmental stewardship. Not just to take care of the earth, but also to receive its gifts. For we're part of Mother Earth. And its energies are available to us. Chief Seattle talked about how we're all a part of that. He said, humankind has not woven the web of life. But we are one thread. We are but one thread in it. What we do to the web, we do to ourselves. All things are bound. All things are connected. That's a prescription I would offer us for rising above cynicism, rising above hate, sacred community, attention, reconciliation, sacred earth. Our spiritual basics. Oh, I believe they can truly assist every one of us in rising above toxic and troubling times. But you know what it's really all about? And the drum I've been beating this whole series, it's about a spiritual maturity and deepening. No longer just stopping with a, a nice belief system that we agree with, but actually delving in with deeper roots and honing a dynamic vision for our lives. It's time to walk our talk, for we're the ones we've been waiting for.